0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special episode of the Big Footy Podcast. I have with me here today Cheryl Critchley, freelance journalist, 21-year Herald Sun veteran and author of the book, Our Footy, Our Vans vs Big Bucks, celebrating grassroots AFL fans and questioning footy's corporatisation. Good morning, Cheryl.
1: Good morning and thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: It's our pleasure to have you here today. Um, obviously, we've got you here uh, in part to do with an article you wrote for Big Footy on Monday. Yep. Um, and I just want to give some people some background before we get to the article itself. Uh, Erin Riley, uh, a sports journalist, went to the grand final uh, as, a, as a Swans member and uh, was evidently uh, took some umbrage at the behaviour of some Hawthorne supporters that were near her, posted that onto Twitter, uh, got something of a volatile response, as it were, from the Bigfooty board and that occasioned another article from her uh, about that in particular. And then we ended up with uh, another article defending Aaron Riley from Clementine Ford in The Age. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we ended up with your article on Monday. How It's, it's been an interesting process. Uh, big footy fans have obviously felt targeted by this uh, and the generalisations that are made. Uh, and so there's a there's a little bit of umbrage from even the even the moderate quarters that aren't saying a lot of things. How have you seen it, all, Cheryl?
1: Um, well, I sort of agree with some of the things that, that both of them said to a point, like racism, homophobia and sexism, they are still a problem in football. And, and obviously what they've described is is there are still people there who will abuse racially and have a go and, you know, call players or you, you're playing like a girl and all that sort of stuff, which is not good. But the bottom line is they, they are a minority. And I've been going to the football for probably 35 years and it has improved markedly over the years. And and these days, I think it is a lot, lot better than it was. It's certainly not perfect, and nobody's claiming it is. But I think the AFL, um, for all its faults, it deserves credit for working really hard on this issue over many years. And it's um, reaped a lot of um, results. It's much, much better now than it used to be. Hmm.
0: I think, uh, I mean, I, I personally have been to Victoria Park. I've been to Football Park when uh, fans were particularly feral and things like that back in the day. And mm-hmm. the, the AFL has definitely come a long way, in my opinion, in yeah. it, in its combating of things. Like there's no there's no hesitation. And clubs ban people all the time for uh, for things. All you can do is face these instances when they come up now. But just for the generalisations that were made, that assumed that you know it was happening all over the crowd at the MCG on Grand Final day, uh, that just seemed to be uh, a little bit blowing it out of proportion for mine.
1: Yeah, well, I can tell you a story from Victoria Park when I was probably 13 or 14 years old and they had the old red rattler trains where the, you could wind the window down. And as we were leaving the station, my friend had a Richmond hat on and, and a Collingwood fan literally stuck their hand in or stuck their arms inside the train and tried to strangle her. <laughs> that's that's how hostile it was when I was a kid. And and you'd hear people, um, you know, saying you're you're black bee and, and, and a lot worse to, to the Aboriginal players and... and it was just absolutely feral but now um it's really, really rare that you would hear anything like that. Like, I've been taking my kids to the footy for 15 years because the oldest is 15, and we have never heard somebody yell out a racial remark at a game, um, whereas that was quite common 20 or 30 years ago. And the AFL has done a lot in recent years. It has, a like, a respect and responsibility policy, which is it's geared towards the players, but, but also society as a whole respecting women. And, and I don't know if you know, they have a text number at Gaines now, mm. that you can report antisocial behaviour, and that was used several times this year. Um, Bulldogs fans, I think it was Bulldogs fans, actually dobbed in their own fans for abusing Adam Goods, and, and I think a couple of them had their memberships revoked. So, um, and the security, there's also the security issue that Erin raised, where she said the security guard. Um, didn't act and said he couldn't do anything that hopefully she just struck someone who didn't want to act because there have been lots of instances of security guards dealing with incidents I've seen two this year where at the MCG one day a guy I don't know what he yelled but obviously something offensive security just came and escorted him out and, and at the Adelaide Um, Adelaide Oval for the Port Adelaide Richmond final a guy came running down to the Richmond cheer squad with his Port Adelaide scarf held it up and started abusing everyone and and security just came and took him out Mm. so generally speaking security does um, act on complaints.
0: In my experience security tends to be overzealous rather than the other way around
1: yeah just ask joffa <laughs> he, he's told me a few times that that he's been you know threatened with being kicked out for just swearing, let alone actually racially or you know sex you know abusing someone in a sexual way or anything like that he He just says that if you, you know you swear they come down and tell you off now, so if anything, a lot of people say they are a bit zealous
0: <laughs> I mean rare is it that a security guard won't exercise the power available to him it's um it's almost unheard of in my experience.
1: Yeah, well, I'm sure, like, you know, everything she says is right, but she's, she's struck a bad combination of circumstances where she's obviously sat near people who were... abusive and saying all those horrible things and and a security guard who didn't act so uh, hopefully she can you know be reassured that that that's not a common experience and I go to every single Melbourne game or Richmond game in Melbourne and I've been to three interstate games this year and and those sorts of things are extremely rare and security in my experience has acted if it's been necessary. Hmm.
0: So Erin writes in her In her article, uh, for its part, the AFL has tried to fight. uh, uh, Sorry, this might not. Yeah, this is Erin's article. Mm -hmm. So I'll have to do some editing there. (laughs) (laughs) Erin writes in her article that for its part, the AFL has tried to fight racial and homophobic abuse through the racism it stops with me and footy for Idaho campaigns. It seems the uh, message is either not getting through or perhaps is being actively rejected. How do you see that? Uh, uh, are, I, are, are they just ignoring the lessons
1: I don't know i I don't think they are like i'm you know sure there's a minority that do, but generally speaking, when I was a kid, the cheer squads would be chanting you know so and so's a pufter and stuff like that really mm. loudly and openly. Cheer squads now have really strict codes of conduct where they're not even allowed to swear they're all dry areas um you You want the safest place in the ground to sit now. you go and sit near the cheer squad because they're really family oriented areas and and nobody there would dare racially abuse someone and and you could sort of say that about most of the rest of the crowd as well and For example, our reserve seat area is a family area, so you go into an area like that and you 're extremely unlikely to see anything but e- even in the outer it 's still quite rare um, so while these people they definitely do exist they're, they're a tiny tiny minority now. Mm. So even have, at Collingwood games, I might add.
0: <laughs> I, look, I've I've been to Port Adelaide games, uh, at at Adelaide Oval at Football Park, um, and I I can honestly say that back in nineteen ninety seven, uh, when I first went to um, you'd have people yelling all sorts of stuff, and some of it was good, and some of it was less good. <laughs> and,
1: uh, yeah, some of it's quite witty, <laughs> and, and some <laughs> of it is not quite the witty stuff though. That's not witty
0: but the these days it's it's more they're they're more they're definitely more aimed at cheering their own players more than booing the opposition players now what i what i want to um what i want to point out i'll well, not point out what i want to suggest is that uh people get caught up in booing players particularly adam goods has been mentioned recently yeah um and 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 they're like basically the act of booing adam goods. is is apparently racist now
1: oh yeah well well, I really don't like him being booed because I I can see where he's coming from as far as the comments Mm. he's making about you know Invasion Day and all that sort of stuff I agree with that I think it's, it's such a fine line that there are other things that people are complaining about as well, like his so-called diving, mm. and it all becomes, you know, enmeshed in together so that then if someone boos him, they're accused of being racist when they might be booing him for his diving. Like, I don't agree with booing him for either of those things, mm. but some of that booing may not be racist. So it's like where do you draw the line?
0: Well, that's true. For my, for my part, I think um, I, I think the league, not just the league, but the people in, the, in that follow the game, we're, we're we're quite cognizant of the issues. Um, we have been getting better and better ever since you know Nicky Winmar pulled up his jumper and pointed to his skin at Victoria Park, mm. um, and ever since then, you know through uh, through the celebration of like Michael Long and Gavin Wanganin in '93 in the year of the Indigenous player and. And, and and on through all that, I think we've definitely come a long way and I think it's taking some people a little bit longer, but they are far in the minority.
1: Oh, for sure. And you know that Richmond um, at Punt Road has an Indigenous academy now and we have the Marne Group footy show, which has two female presenters as well, by the way, um, a lot of people I speak to say they prefer the Mangra footy show to the regular footy show and, and they love it. And then you've got Bashar Huli, the Richmond player, has got a, an academy for young Islamic players. So um, they're even, you know, encouraging people of all different backgrounds. We also have those international football tournaments where you know all cultures and and countries are welcome to play um so that that inclusiveness has is is really really good now compared to what it was
0: well, i'm I, getting to your article now uh cheryl that you wrote and uh you, you're pointing out all sorts of things that i i was going to point out myself at one point but you did it better than i would um the, <sighs> Where was I going to go with that line of thought? <laughs> um,
1: I'm not sure. Was it the women's staff? Because or... yeah, there's a lot uh, of women look, involved now.
0: That's all right. I was, I was going to get on to the, uh, you know, the commentary stuff. Erin mm-hmm. noted in her article that the grand final commentary team had five white males. No no female representation um, for the most part, although I think Sam Lane did play a part in the, in the halftime coverage like she normally does. Mm-hmm. Um, Caroline Wilson, and, and then you've got the likes of Caroline Wilson and, and you mentioned other names, Tiffany Cherry, Megan Husswaite, Christy Malthouse, narrowly Meadows, uh, the two girls from Grook as well.
1: And Kelly Underwood. Who Kelly, Kelly
0: Underwood. Underwood.
1: Mm. Well, Kelly- the thing is, I think, I'm not sure if it was Erin or Clementine who mentioned that, um, I think Erin did another story talking about Kelly Underwood and how she only ended up Commentating a few games and there was controversy and all that sort of stuff. But at least it was a start, wasn't it? It was fantastic that she even got a chance and she's led the way. And hopefully, you know, it's not ideal, but maybe in another year or two, either her or someone else will get another go and we'll keep going until we actually do get female commentators. Like, not... you know, it's a start. It's better than nothing.
0: I think, we, I think the thing you've got to be careful of is assuming that she was dumped from commentating because, like, she's no longer commentating because she's a woman. And that's not, like, she she wasn't popular because her voice was annoying.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. People say it was annoying because it was a female voice. No, so it, if they it, said it for that reason, then that's not good.
0: No, no, it's absolutely, I don't think it was because she was female at all. I think people just, it may have been a shock to the system for some, and that's why mm. some people, personally, I, the voice just grated on me. And it was very, just nasally and, Yeah, well,
1: maybe maybe she uh, (laughs) could do some voice training or something like that. I don't know. To me, I think she sounded quite good, Um, very professional and very good at what she did as far as the content of what she said. Um, And and I was very disappointed that it didn't work, but but I think she's paved the way. Oh, absolutely. hopefully someone else or even she'll come back again and... And it, it may well work, but but there's women everywhere in football now. Um, like I know we can't play, you cannot play AFL at that level <laughs> because of the, the you know woman's body is not as strong as a male body. But we now have the VWFL, which is a, you know growing at a great rate of knots. And girls have a pathway all the way through football now from OzKick Junior Girls. Youth girls and the VWFL, so that you've got your whole pathway of playing. You can, and women coach. I know a few women who've coached, um, I think, senior, up to senior male teams at a suburban level. Um, They're everywhere. You've got Peter Searle at St Kilda now. I think it's two women on the AFL Commission. Richmond has a female president. Um, You watch a game and you'll see half the trainers running out onto the ground are women, physios. Um, the whole works. Um, they're in every aspect of football except actually on the ground playing.
0: And that's only a good thing. I mean, not that they're not playing. Not that they're, they're not
1: strong. playing. But, no, well, I don't think any woman actually thinks she's going to physically match it with the guys, but what we need to do is build the VWFL up. So, you know, have that as a curtain raiser at AFL games yeah. and and promote that more.
0: I wonder how far we are off from having an actual women's league.
1: Yeah, well, well, a lot of it's about money because I know historically, um, the AFL gave stuff all to the women's game. I think that's improved, but five or ten years ago, they had no money at all, and the women just had to pay their own way. Um, you know, none of them get pl- paid, and I think none of them get paid to this day. And I don't think any that's of the stri- coaches get paid. Um, it's it's a it's a money thing. They it's all strictly amateur
0: it. at the moment. But um,
1: yeah,
0: I know I was talking to the. CEO of AFL Europe yesterday, and he was saying that uh, they, their European Cup, which is coming up, uh, they've gone from two women's teams to five um, in a year.
1: So <laughs> that's yeah, a- that's great. Well, once you can get some sponsorship and money behind it, the women's league can take off because I've been to a couple of their grand finals and the standard's really good. Mm-hmm. And and at a lower level, I coached Auskick for seven years. Um, every single male was a hundred percent supportive. I had no male parents looking down at me. Everyone was just so supportive, and and they loved the fact that there was a female coach. It was just completely positive. And I'm, you know, someone else may have had a negative experience in in doing that, but but mine for seven years could not fault it at all.
0: Mm. So, how would you summarise your position here?
1: Um, Oh, well, I'm saying that it's not perfect. The situation is not. I've seen idiots at the football and and they still exist. And and from what Erin says, some of them are still saying pretty awful stuff. But it's the same as society as a whole. You've got a percentage of idiots in in any group. And as I said in my story, you've got um, bigots, misogynists and religious extremists in federal parliament. You've got them everywhere, police force, everything. And no matter what the AFL does, you you can't eliminate every single one of those people. And what they've done is they've done their best to minimise it. And I think they've done a great job and there's still a way to go. But in the last 20 years, they've done a, a fantastic job in that area.
0: Okay. Um, obviously, that concludes the uh, the part I was talking about with the, with the articles and and the whole bigots and misogynists and religious extremists. And you're mm. right, they, they are in federal parliament. They are, they are everywhere. But the
1: Burqa ban they're talking about now, it's actually the niqab, not the Burqa, but um, that's racist.
0: It's, it's the climate of fear we dwell in, Cheryl. That's
1: right. That's a whole
0: another issue. That's something else to discuss another time. But I did that's want a- to talk about your book that you wrote.
1: It's our footy, yes. real fans versus big bucks.
0: Now, what was that about?
1: Well, essentially, being a footy fan myself, who's attended games since I was probably 11 or 12 years old, I've met so many fantastic people over the years, and, and they're just the best characters, um, and, and as everybody out there probably knows, you know, fans um, don't get a lot of coverage, or not serious coverage, and... There's so many stories that we don't know about. So in 2010, I put together a book talking about some of the amazing characters like Cole Hutchinson from Geelong who has not missed a game for 51 years, um, you know, interstate and everything. And people like him, who they're just amazing. They they really make footy the, the colourful game that it is and I think they need a bit more recognition than what they get.
0: Okay. Um.
1: And it also talks about the corporatisation as well and how um, grassroots fans, are not, they don't have that sort of really close involvement that they used to have with their clubs and that money's now king and, um, you know, Collingwood sort of corporatised its cheer squad and they now have to pay for expensive reserve seats rather than a token fee that most cheer squads pay and, and that sort of thing that's happened over the last few years as well.
0: So that that's come hand in hand with the professionalism where the, the clubs have gone from community based organizations to uh professional businesses really.
1: Yeah, and some clubs do it better than others. Um you know, some some clubs like Uh, in recent years, North was still embracing its volunteers, but other clubs like my own club, Richmond, that a a lot of people who volunteered for many years are basically, you know, told their services are no longer required and it's all just professional now and they, they pay people to do things that volunteers used to do, which is a sad state of affairs. And and the other big thing is that you know access to grand final tickets and and that side of it, where people who go to games, you know, go to every game for the year and then miss out on a grand final ticket when their team plays. Mm. Okay. But, yeah, all of that side of it, I suppose, is you know just getting worse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, I don't I don't see that getting any better in the short term, at least. All no, the, there's all, been a different turnaround really? this
1: year. There was a lot of coverage about, you know, fan disquiet and and you know the variable pricing making people pay up to $60 for a seat whereas you could have just rocked up in previous years, that type of thing. Mm,
0: I think the AFL acknowledged that they stuffed that up a little bit.
1: It took them a while though, that's for sure, cuz I helped to set up the AFL Fans Association that started this year. I'm not technically involved now, but Um, A lot of what we did early in the year was to point out just how much more it was going to cost under variable pricing and that ended up getting enormous amounts of media coverage, which was great.
0: Tell me about this AFL Fans Association then.
1: Oh, well, it's basically um, a group that wants to give fans some official representation because they haven't really had it up till now. Um, You've had your cheer squads, which are sort of the main, you know, fan groups for each club, but they don't really have much power and they are also got their hands tied a bit because they don't don't want to be controversial um, and speak up in some cases or, you know, they could get into trouble with their clubs. So this group hopes to be that spokesperson for fans and and so far it's done a a really good job and had quite a bit of publicity-raising issues like the food costs and the variable pricing and people missing out on grand final tickets and, you know, all those issues that are affecting grassroots fans. Okay. Yeah, and they've got a Facebook page and a website and um, and also we had a petition against variable pricing, which I think might have helped in um, getting the message out there about how bad it was.
0: Well, every little bit helped, I think, in that case because uh, it certainly was very unpopular. Crowds in Melbourne down massively this year.
1: Yeah, if it wasn't for the Adelaide Oval, I think I did see the stats recently and from what I could gather... It was something like um, Adelaide Oval um, crowd was up by like 300 and something thousand. And without that, um, overall crowds would have been down by about that much.
0: Yeah, crowds in Melbourne were down a couple of hundred thousand from memory. Um,
1: Yeah, that sounds right. And a lot of the games I went to um, as a Richmond supporter, like, for example, a Collingwood game, I think it was something like 58,000 or something. It was was way lower than what it normally would have been. And Carlton-Richmond was much lower as well. And the worst was that Sunday night game where you had um, Collingwood and Carlton on a Sunday night and they had something like 41,000, which is probably 70,000, sorry, sorry, 30,000 less than what they would normally get.
0: Carlton's home crowd's down were 11%. Richmond's by fifteen, Collingwood's by thirteen, St yeah. Kilda's by twenty percent,
1: and they say some of that's um, to do with form, but you can't blame it all on form because Richmond fans are pretty good at turning up when they're losing, and, and we did win the last nine games. So,
0: mm. no, on, on on average, I think it was about nine percent, the MCG ten percent, uh, Docklands eight percent, even Kardinia Park was down five percent this year. So.
1: Well, part of the thing down there was that they've redone the stands, and I don't know if you've seen, but the prices down there are just amazingly high. Um, they're higher than Eddie had, so I think price had something to do with it down at Geelong as well.
0: Well, mm. oh, Cheryl, it's been a pleasure to have you on this morning. Was there anything else that you wanted to add that we haven't covered this morning?
1: Oh, not really. Just I'm hoping that Richmond actually um, is a genuine force next year and doesn't just scrape into the finals and get smashed in the first round. <laughs>
0: You said you were a cheer squad member in the 80s, in the early 80s?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was in the, the cheer squad for the 1980 grand final where we beat Collingwood by 81 points, probably the best day of my life and but, in my first 14 years of life, Richmond won five grand finals mm. and since then it's, it's all been a, all downhill from there not, not a, <laughs> and not I'm, in the, I'm in the cheer squad with my kids now, we, we sit in there sometimes but we also have our own seats but some of the same people are there from when I was a kid, and they're, they're great people. They're very really dedicated and do some amazing work.
0: Not, not at the 82 grand final?
1: No, I was actually in the country that year. I was 16, <laughs> and we, we, my dad, mum and dad had a pub, and we were following the local team all year, and I went to a few Richmond games, but the local team got into the grand final the week before and had a draw, so they then had to play again the following week, which was when the grand final was on, so I ended up going to that one, so I missed the streaker.
0: <laughs> well we haven't had too many of them lately
1: no that's right and and but, but at the time as a richmond fan you'd be thinking oh well, we'll have plenty more grand finals to go to in this decade and it's like famous last words isn't it <laughs>
0: just before we go and we don't have too many women on this program so i never really have the opportunity to ask what do you think of the afl's international? Uh, not international the afl's women's round do they do enough
1: Oh, oh, yes and no. I think you don't want tokenism. Like You don't want something that's just, oh, let's just give a nod to women for one week of the year. I think one of the, the points Erin made that was probably a good point was that it's got to be you know ingrained in everything you do and not just have this round and put the spotlight on for one week. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing that they do it, but, but I think as long as you match that with um, improvements behind the scenes, then it's fine. Okay.
0: I've been talking to Cheryl Critchley, uh, freelance journalist and former Herald Sunrider and author of the book, uh, Our Footy, Our Fans, um, and, which nuts. you can assume... <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 dear.
1: What is that? What is your book called? It's called Our Footy, Real Fans Versus Real Big Fans." <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll
0: get it right one day. That's Where, fine. Hey, where's this outro? All right. <laughs> uh, I've been talking to Cheryl Critchley, the author of Real Fan. Oh, see, there it goes again. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, anyway. I've been talking to Cheryl Critchley, author of Our Footy, Real Fans vs. Big Bucks and former Herald Sun journalist and currently freelance journalist working for the Weekly Review. Uh, thank you, Cheryl. It's and been a pleasure. for having
1: me. It's been great.
0: Thank you very much.